I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Each fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening, plant care, pest control, container ideas, growing your own fruit and vegetables, plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the team of horticultural advisors here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition, food for free. Supplier of Michelin-starred chefs, Jun Hilde explains the do's and don'ts of foraging in the wild and even in your own garden. RHS experts answer your seasonal gardening questions. And, as always, we'll have the latest news on RHS events across our four gardens. But first, let's head outside to join the garden team to find out what's happening in RHS Garden Wisley right now. So this is Matthew Pottage, garden manager at RHS Wisley. So we're really starting to notice now the nights are drawing in, we're getting much cooler temperatures and it's at this point where I'm going to be putting a few what I call rain covers but we just want to keep the moisture of some of our slightly more tender plants and these these plants I'm looking at now are puyas but if you have something like a puya or an agave or a prickly pear, the the apuntia and you know it's something that can take a cool temperature but doesn't necessarily like the winter wet now is the time to get it covered over and just keep any excess moisture off. You can use something like a plastic cover, like a cloche, or you can make a little makeshift bamboo wigwam and put plastic sheeting over it. The main thing is to allow some air circulation, so leave some gaps at the base or puncture some holes in it, and see water stays off the crown. A lot of things are killed by the wet rather than the cold, and now is a good time to, to get this cover on, to keep things slightly drier and increase their chances of survival. Hi, I'm Alastair Penstone-Smith. I'm team leader of the Woodland team here at Wisley. So um, autumn is the best time to plant a hedge. They have a number of functions within the garden. We use them as a screening to create privacy. We use them as a a windbreak and they're great for structuring the garden. Um, They're also really good for um, wildlife, um, especially nesting birds. Ideally, the best time to plant is autumn because the ground still has that warmth to it and moisture, so it enables the plant to get established for the growing season the following year. We have a number of ways the plants will come in. They can come in as bare roots as specimens. It's very important that when you bring them in, you cover up the roots as much as possible to stop them from drying out, as this will um, desiccate the roots and, and the plant will die. 
pot grown plants or container grown plants are ideal to plant out they'll be a bit more established but they'll be more expensive evergreen plants normally will come in with a root ball a soil ball which will be wrapped in uh, a hessian and it's very important that that hessian is removed prior to planting so when it comes to the process of planting it's the same way you plant any new tree or shrub it is important to prepare the soil to your hedge so it has a best start in life prepare the ground by digging over maybe about 60 to 80 centimeters width if there is any weeds on there you'll need to use a herbicide to eradicate all the weed off the top of that you can add some organic matter or compost and then fork it in to um, about a spit step that's the the length of the blade of the spade planting distances vary depending on the plant's final size it's important to have a string line to ensure that the planting is straight a good tip would be to cut a bamboo cane to the length of the space you would like then use that as a marker to indicate from one plant to the next it's really important that the roots are kept moist another tip would be to soak the roots maybe for 20-30 minutes before planting just to ensure that there's plenty of moisture around the roots when it comes to them going into the soil so it's important that you spread the roots out ensuring that the planting depth is correct now with any plant you uh, you plant you want to make sure that it's planted to the root flare so that's when the stem of the plant flares out to its roots and you don't want to cover that up or there's the risk that it will rot. The aftercare is just as important than the actual planting so mulching is very crucial around the base of the tree that will um, keep the moisture into the ground and it will stop any weeds from growing up around the plant. Um, it's also important that um, if to weed out constantly or those weeds will take the nutrients away from the plant before it gets a chance to establish. It's important that you water well during the next two years, especially during the dry periods. And um, you may want to top dress annually with some general purpose fertilizer, such as Grow More, um, and then reapply the mulch when necessary. Then you have a tip-top hedge. Hi, I'm Greg Ovenden. I work at RHS Wisley in the greenhouse. So this time of year in your greenhouse, it's a great time to start cleaning up after the summer. So removing old tomato plants, chilies, peppers, things like that. And also to wash down and disinfect the greenhouse ready for the winter. It's also a good time to clean the windows and get everything clean. Get rid of any pests that may be lingering from the summer. It just gives you a fresh start. So another great idea to do in your greenhouse this time of year is to start insulating it. You can do this by using bubble wrap. It adds another layer of protection and it can also raise the ambient temperature by a degree or two. It's also a good idea to start checking your greenhouse heaters and make sure that they're working just so you're not caught out through the winter. It's also a great idea to start bringing your tender plants now as we'll start to see ground frosts um, and they will be damaged by this. So plants such as aeoniums, echiums and agaves that may have been outside for the summer should be dug up and brought into the glass house. You can find more gardening tips and advice on the RHS website rhs.org.uk forward slash gardening. Here you can also find video guides to key jobs in the garden. This month, Matthew Wilson demonstrates hedge planting techniques. I'm Jenny Bowden and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Wild food is one of the current big trends in the gastronomic world. 
Foraging is becoming increasingly popular with amateur and professional chefs interested in locally sourced, unusual and free ingredients. Jun Hilder is a professional forager. He supplies Michelin-starred restaurants and chefs such as Gordon Ramsay. Recently, he gave a talk to gardeners at the RHS London Harvest Festival show about the do's and don'ts of foraging and the delicious edible plants that are to be found both in the wild and in domestic gardens, a rich source of veg that's often overlooked. We joined him after the show to find out more. I'm Yun. I'm a forager. I've spent the last 18 years foraging and uh, I suppose my, my role working with the Michelin-starred chefs and it's been on a, a culinary side but it's been a wonderful journey for me because I've been given an insight into the wild world and I got into it uh, 18 years ago. Um, basically, I learned of some friends who 20 years ago started dealing in wild mushrooms and uh, that came about because they were some young guys at the time and they were picking mushrooms in Wales also and uh, to the back of their Volkswagen and then they came up to London with their Volkswagen load of mushrooms and they went to Coluccio, the kind of the famous name in mushrooms and they said to Coluccio, do you fancy buying some of these mushrooms? And Coluccio said, look boys, he said, I will. I certainly love to buy those mushrooms. And he said, you need to set up a business selling mushrooms because nobody in London 20 years ago was actually doing it as a business so they did they went on created a business and literally a multi-million business and um, they were collecting mushrooms from around the world tons coming from Scotland and Poland and America and uh, I met them about two years into their business and uh, I realized that nobody had specialized in wild vegetables working with the top 100 restaurants so that's what I did I thought I'm going to set up a wild vegetable business Mike said to me Yun there's no money in wild vegetables well 18 years later I've proved him right. You see, there's a, the thing with the wild vegetables is that basically it's a garnish. And so unlike fish or meat where there's money in it, uh, with the vegetables it's just a garnish. So I'm pleased there's no money because it's actually a very precious environment. So if you're picking from the wild in your garden, that's okay. But if you're picking from the wild elsewhere, I've just been talking with a lady just a few minutes ago about Epping Forest, and there's some, you know, next to a population in London of 16 million, words like Epping Forest are very famous words. And you might not know anything about the wild, but the first thing you think is, ah, oh, Epping it's on the central line. I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to go and look for mushrooms or whatever. Well, with 16 minimums here, quickly it becomes a problem. The forest has nothing left. So this is a really big issue. So unfortunately, these wild spaces, really where we've got to is that when you see wild plants, they're best just looked at and not touched because sadly, they're a precious thing. 4,000 years ago, we stopped farming, stopped hunter-gathering, and we started farming for a reason because there's only a finite amount. And with regards how to get into foraging, well, the message I share here is learn one plant at a time. It's the, it's the way to begin. Find a plant, but find a common plant like nettles. Research it. Find out a recipe for it. I've just recently been telling people about nettle syrup. You make a cocktail called the sting, where you boil up the nettles, you make a syrup. Just refer to your recipe books how to make a syrup. But boil up the nettle tops collected in spring, and you make a syrup. And then you let that go cold. Once you've got your syrup, you just add your syrup with a, a shot or two of vodka, some dry white wine, some crushed ice, and... Um, serve with uh, some soda water and a squeeze of lemon or juice slice of lemon and uh, you've got a, a cocktail called the sting take out the dry white wine and the vodka and you've got a teetotal version but it's this thing of finding an easy way of using that plant gets you into it and then learn different uses of it and then find out about the medicinal uses that nettles are good for pmt that if you make a juice out of it put it on your hair you can stop you can stimulate hair growth so you know these plants have medicinal uses as well and then things like blackberries common plant what can you use it for 
edible. Well, we know about blackberries, we know about blackberry apple crumble, but did you know you can eat the leaves in spring and get the taste of blackberry or make a tea out of them? Or as I've shown recently, you can actually just chop by a fellow forager called Fergus, but you can actually uh, chop the, um, the stem of the blackberry and get a five-sided shape, which is obviously a pentagon shape, and it's a little star shape, and that little pentagon star won't cut in too many little slices. You can actually candy, and then you make these little star-shaped candied sweets for the kids. It's absolutely lovely. So again, it's these things of the different uses of even the plants that we're very familiar with. And then you can get a little bit more bold and go off piece to something like elderflower. But again, everybody knows elderflower. But saying that, as a lady was, I heard her talking yesterday, she made the mistake. Her husband thought he'd found elderflower and he hadn't. I didn't ask her, but I think I know what it was she found. It was actually mountain ash, because with the rowan berries, because it has a blossom that looks just like elderflower, but it comes out at a different point in the season and can be confused. And so, you know, you'd think you know what elderflower is, but, you know, be certain. And that's my, I think, closing message here, is uh, be really sure about what you're picking, because make a mistake. It's not that it could kill you, because it can, but it's likely to make you very ill. And plants like the umblifers, uh, which are the white flowers hanging, and those are very close to hemlock. Unless you know what you're doing, cow parsley, things like that. If you think it's cow parsley and you get it wrong and you pick hemlock, then you die. So, you know, there's plants that I just simply don't touch. And there's plants which I've walked past for many years, and I've wanted to pick them. I've touched them. Um, and even touching, be careful. Digitalis, foxglove. It's a heart drug. But you only have to touch it, and you can actually your heart rate will increase if you touch the right part of the plant. So this makes me think about touching plants, touching mushrooms. Be cautious, because if it's a poisonous plant, you're going to ingest it through your fingers, like they say to the mechanics, wear plastic gloves, don't get the oil through your skin. So it's a, it's a really fun and exciting world, but um, you do have to be careful. Learn one plant at a time. Um, but the thing is, for me, the, the most exciting and best point is just that interaction with the landscape. And I don't have to tell gardeners this. You know, when you're out there in your garden, just hearing the birds and the bees and the silence, it's just beautiful. In me, in the wild, I'm lucky I get slightly more exciting landscapes. I get the mountains and the estuaries and the streams running through the, the forests. So it's just lovely to be in those environments. And it's a lovely excuse to get into those environments. And so it's, it's a lovely subject. But sadly, we do have an issue now because the word, because foraging has become so popular, too many people are now doing it. And I think we're going to go into a period now where we need to look at licensing, certainly commercial foragers. Um, and um, as I've heard in Italy, they're actually issuing licenses to the private foragers just so that we control the amount that they pick. Forager Jun Hilda at the RHS London Harvest Festival show. Now, if you're a regular listener to the RHS Gardening Podcast, you'll already know that our experts from the advisory team here at RHS Garden Wisley join us regularly to answer your gardening questions. The RHS Advisory Service is free for all RHS members, and if you have any questions you'd like to hear answered on the podcast, you can email them to us at podcast at rhs.org.uk. Let's join my colleagues in the RHS advisory team to hear advice on some of your November questions. My name is Tony Dickerson. I'm one of the horticulture advisors here at uh, RHS Wisley. Um, my name is Jeff Denton. I'm one of the plant pathologists and I'm based at Wisley Gardens. I'm Jenny Bowden and I'm one of the horticulture advisors at Wisley. And I'm Helen Bostock and I'm senior horticultural advisor at the RHS. Our first inquiry today is from Tom Anderson, an email he sent us. He, he says, we're in the process of buying our first house with a garden in South East London. We've heard worrying reports about the dangers of honey fungus in the area. 
What is it and how do I recognise it? And should I think twice about buying a house if the garden is affected? Um, well, Jeff, what can we say about honey fungus? Well, honey fungus is one of the uh, top diseases that we actually get in gardens, and it affects trees and shrubs. It's one of the ones that is more of a hidden problem, and more often than not, you'll start seeing plants that are dying back, um, but it's actually affecting the roots and stem base, so it's not always visible. It can be a major problem, but there are plants that are known to be susceptible and known to have some degree of resistance. So I don't think it should put you off buying a house. And also, if you were thinking of buying a house, it can be very difficult to check the plants. The way to actually check a plant, see whether it is infected or not, will be to peel back the bark at the stem base, or if you can access them, to the roots as well. What we'd be looking for would be a white fungal sheet beneath the bark. This would be characteristic of honey fungus infection. How it infects is that it goes beneath the bark and the mycelium goes around the roots and it's this girdling that stops the water going up the roots and will cause the dieback seen in the branches and above ground. Plants in the rose family are very much affected. So it's called the rosaceae family, which would include roses, sorbus, prunus, so ornamental cherries, for example, are very susceptible. Unfortunately, apple trees are very susceptible as well. Um, and indeed, yes, that would include quite a few hedging plants as well. And of course, there are many plants that are more resistant. Um, Grizzolinia is a great plant for making hedges out of, and that proves to be fairly resistant. Um, but certain conditions within the garden can encourage the disease in. Have you found, Jeff, that this year it's been particularly prevalent owing to plants being stressed? Uh, this year, 2013, has been a fantastic year for honey fungus. Unfortunately, there's two things that have made it worse. One is the fact that honey fungus has been uh, growing a lot more than usual, um, but also with the weather conditions of being wet, but also warmer, we've noticed a lot more toadstools being produced, which makes it a lot easier to be seen. We've had a large number of inquiries this year with the toadstools being present, making confirmation that plants are dying from honey fungus a lot easier but that said it's not always present what is always present is the white mycelium beneath the bark so that's the definite way of confirming it and if you have quite a packed garden if you see the toadstools it's very hard to know which plant they may be coming from the one thing about honey fungus it does affect very common plants uh, things that we'd normally see in gardens such as viburnums privet rhododendron so the majority of gardens will have these and therefore they're likely to get honey fungus at some point. I think it's really, really important to um, point out that w we actually have honey fungus badly in the garden at Wisley. And we have a fabulous garden. So basically the garden staff will just hoik a plant out that's damaged by it and they will plant another one and just go for it. And um, it's entirely possible to garden with it. So certainly go ahead and buy your house. We have a question in from Jane Anderson of Wisbeach. Uh, she says, I had lots of French beans this year. Can I grow next year's crop from the spare beans from this year's harvest? Or do I need to buy new seed? Uh, I don't know. This is something for uh, the veg growers, I guess, that we've got in our midst. Um, Tony, have you grown French beans this year? Uh, indeed. Um, the problem here is that, yes, certainly you can gather French beans, but you need to check that they're actually what we call open pollinated stock. Uh, a lot of new vegetable cultivars or varieties that come on the market now are what we call F1 hybrids, and they are produced by crossing two specific plants. 
and if you collect the seed from the, those F1 hybrids, you'll find that they will not breed true. Uh, in some cases, they'll give reasonable plants, but generally, if you're collecting seed from vegetables, it makes sense to choose, say, open pollinated. If they're F1s, it will normally say on your seed packet, and then you know that gathering seed from those may not be that worthwhile. I know often um, collecting your own seed is really rather fun and those thrifty ones amongst us perhaps rather enjoy it but it's not something to do at the end of the season as an afterthought because for collecting things like um, runner bean or french bean seeds you're really better off to have planned a bit early and left some of those pods on the plant at an earlier stage so they could fully ripen the beans inside of them will be nice and mature and dry and then when you open them up it's a good quality bean if they're still a bit um, green no point in keeping those they'll just rot um, over the winter we've had an email from felicity drew um, who says my daughter has just given me an amaryllis bulb how do i plant and care for it to get the best blooms for christmas Right, well, they're all on sale at the moment. Um, We've got piles of them up at our plant centre, looking very fat and lovely and waiting to burst into flower. But it's going to be a little while yet. So um, how do we look after them? Uh, Helen. Mm, Well, first of all, this is one of those um, funny terms where as gardeners perhaps use different terms from um, everybody else. Just to clarify, amaryllis bulbs sometimes... um, You might see these sold as hippiastrums. It's the same thing. There is an amaryllis, a true amaryllis. That tends to be more of a bulb for planting outside. But the ones we grow for Christmas in all those lovely pinks and red colours, those are what we we know. Um, Anything in the amaryllis family tends to have quite a large bulb. And unlike your classic uh, daffodil or tulip bulbs where you plant perhaps two times their depth, these are quite different. They'll really resent planting that deep. So the first thing to take note is to plant them very shallowly. They, they The sort of neck and, or shoulders of the bulb need to sit proud of the compost. So have them protruding out of the top of the pot. You only need to select a pot that's about the right same size as the bulb or only just a little bit bigger. You don't want a really big one that it'll just drown in. Water it in, put it somewhere cool um, but fairly bright. What that will do, it give it a water, it'll start the whole process of the bulb growing and as it starts to come into active growth you can pick up on the watering and then hopefully if you're lucky in time for Christmas You'll have it in full bloom where you can bring it into perhaps a windowsill that you can enjoy or into um, into your dining room Christmas Day, something a bit cheery. So they're really straightforward bulbs to grow. But just remember, keep them high in the pot and not too large a container. I think Felicity might struggle this year to get it in flower for Christmas. They, they often need six or eight weeks. So perhaps this is going to be one that's going to flower in the new year. But certainly at that sort of dark and dismal time of year, very welcomed ornamental plant there to have on the windowsill. So certainly well worth growing, very easy, very rewarding plant. OK, the next question we have in is an email from Naomi Flynn. The question is, I hear a lot of talk about protecting tender plants from frost. I've inherited a garden but I'm inexperienced. What plants should I be concerned about? And is there any way to tell which plants are likely to be tender by the shape of the leaves? And a plea at the end saying help. So, Tony, would there be any kind of rule of thumb as to what plants might be more tender? 
I, I think this is very difficult. You might think, well, you know, salvias are quite tender. They have square stems if you cut through them. But so, for example, does mint. So the problem here is that it comes down, I think, to experience. There'll be plants with very succulent leaves that uh, you know one might think uh, need protecting, but they're likely, in any case, by this time in the year to begin to go over. Um, so I think very difficult to uh, identify plants. I don't know, Helen, do you think there's any sort of shortcut here? I don't know that there is. No. I mean, obviously, checking the plant label. If you're not sure when you're considering buying a plant from a garden centre... Do ask. That's what the garden centre staff are there for. They can tell you whether it's one that you really need a conservatory or greenhouse for. Um, There are some which might be classed as frost tender or half hardy. Look for those sorts of terms and then try to work out whether there's a place that you could put it in order to ensure that it survives the winter. Some plants don't need as much protection as others. They might do just perhaps by, if they're in a pot, bringing up against a house wall that gives them a bit of shelter um, reducing the watering putting a bit of bubble wrap around the sides of the pot and and a bit of what we call horticultural fleece which is a sort of white very thin fabric type material that you can buy from garden centers and just putting a layer or even a double layer of that over the plant for the winter but there are some which really need conservatory and unless you've already got one that might be a very expensive purchase. I think for a lot of plants out in the garden, if you are a little bit uncertain, simply mulching over the roots with the three or even four inch layer of composted bark or something of that sort. It's often the case if you can protect the roots that even if the top growth gets cut back by cold conditions, the the plant will survive. But with the run of recent very cold winters over the last three or four years, it may be the case that the very tender items in this garden have already been killed. So it's a case of observing what plants are doing well and uh, just making a note so that for future years you can protect those that you purchase as new plants and uh, hopefully they'll get established and get through the, the worst of the winter weather. So if there isn't a general rule of thumb then it would be best to try and get the plants identified and with uh, the RHS advisory service we do provide a plant identification service So that is something that people can send things along to and help. Uh, That service is free to RHS members. And I think we've just got time for one more question here today. We have a letter here from Christine Windsor, who uh, lives at Slough. I'd like to plant some colour-themed containers for spring, a red and a silver one. Have you any suggestions for plant combinations? Well, Helen. Ooh, crikey. Um, I'm assuming that Christine would like some outdoor containers here. I'm not sure, though, but... um, Red. Now, there's a lot of things in the purple side of things. I'm thinking some of those ornamental cabbages that you can get are rather fun for pots. But true red's a bit harder. Maybe some of the hookahs, which is a lovely um, uh, um, foliage plant, fully hardy. And it comes in all sorts of colours um, in terms of the leaves, from greens through yellows, oranges. But the reds and the purples are really stunning. So that's um, some that could perhaps fill part of the container then I'm rather inclined with the silvery aspect to go down the sort of white side um there's some very very nice hardy um hederas or ivies the English ivies and that gives not only a vertical bit in, in the pot but that of course can trail nicely down the sides of the pot um if you go for white variegation that will perhaps give you that nice red and white color combo that has a bit of a festive feel about it um, but I don't know, Jenny, have you got anything? 
Um, you might want to use something like Nandina as an evergreen um, shrub to go in a larger pot. Nandina is it's called a heavenly bamboo, but it has very little to do with bamboos, but it's an evergreen foliage plant and the new growth is red to orangey kind of colour. Uh, so that could make a focal point. Um, another evergreen which is a silvery one, is called Hebe Red Edge. So you've got a bit of silver and a bit of, little bit of red round the edges of the leaves. Um, there's a hellebore called Silver Lace, which will give you a lovely foliage effect. I think with a lot of, there isn't an awful lot of flower colour around at, at that time of year to sort of take you through the winter, but you need to use foliage effect and then just bring it to life with um, maybe some primulas, which come in all sorts of different colours. And you shouldn't forget bulbs. So as the spring goes on, you can get some colour from things like the rock garden tulips. So there's one called Tulip um, Bright Gem and there's another one called Eastern Star and it isn't too late to plant those now. Um, you might consider heathers come in silvery shades and indeed reddish shades. Um, so there's some silver foliaged uh, heathers. There's one called Kaluna Silver Night. Uh, again, nice foliage effect. Um, the flowers are whitish and uh, mix and match along with the hookahs. And you could have some nice effects. Yeah, you, just think about the silver part of that. Um, although it wouldn't perhaps work um, for flower colour, it's not a problem because, of course, um, if you go with something like lavenders, you've got the silvery foliage or what we call the um, cotton lavenders or santalinas, which have um, y tiny little yellow flowers. They're flowering in the summer, so you can always perhaps put those in the border after the spring is finished but you're getting the effect of the silver um, and that's really nice I also think maybe a bit of skimmia because um, you've got some red berries there which is a lovely one for uh, winter and the other buried one is the gulferia the, the low yeah. very low growing evergreen little roundish leaves uh, with quite large quite large berries uh, which looks lovely around the base of a pot Again, I was thinking about this. One of the problems is containers where actually the situation is shaded. And for silver plants, that's often um, a very difficult uh, option. But to two or three that you might try in a container uh, is Brunnera Jack Frost, very silvery leaves. Combine that with a uh, fern such as a Japanese painted fern, uh, uh, Athrium nipponicum. And then finally, uh, a pulmonaria, pulmonaria opal. And again, very uh, silvery leaves and for shaded spot where normally it's quite difficult to get silvery foliage plants to grow, that certainly would be an option. And perhaps going back to the bulbs, again, if you wanted a nice compact little display, uh, bulbs are great. And in the case of tulips, two particularly good red ones. One is fusilia and a very good one, red riding hood again with patterned leaves as well perhaps combining that with uh, a red uh, polyanthus which uh, again give a rather longer continuity of colour The RHS advisory team Remember, RHS members can contact the team by phone, email or letter for free help with any gardening queries If you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. Another benefit of RHS membership is free entry to our four gardens, Harlow Carr in Yorkshire, Hyde Hall in Essex, Rosemore in Devon and here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. 
Here are some of the events happening at our gardens in November. Come to RHS Garden Harlow Carr on the 20th and 21st of November and learn the art of botanical painting, from design and composition to choosing suitable subjects to paint. RHS Garden Rosemore hosts a half-day workshop in creating willow bunting on the 23rd of November. Learn how to create miniature woven Christmas trees and stars, then add some bay leaves, cinnamon sticks and orange slices for seasonal aroma. Come to RHS Garden Wisley on either the 23rd or 26th of November for a day's talk and demonstration on caring for the fruit garden in winter. RHS experts will be on hand to give advice and show you best practice for planting and pruning for heavy cropping. Details of all these events, as always, are on the website at rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens. We're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden, and the team here at RHS Garden, Wisley and Surrey, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.